Welcome to Coach Chess, the podcast for hungry web developers. I'm your co-host today, Vincent, and with me is... Herman Gamboa. Uh, so for today's episode, we're going to be talking about forms. What are forms? How do they work? How do they work on the web? What are the different types of forms they can use when you're submitting data on the front end or through a client? What's the difference between like an HTML form versus like a JavaScript form? And how do forms kind of play a pivotal role in uh, just the user experience on a website? So... To kind of get started, we're going to talk about our experience with forms. Uh, German, do you want to kick it off? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think like forms are some of the hardest things we do as web developers, just because there's a lot that goes into them, right? It's not just throw some fields up and call about a day. So so I remember like my, my experience with forms has been a lot of like making like either multi-step forms or like comp- a little bit more complex forms. It's always been a struggle trying to get everything right and actually not just collecting the right data, but also like letting the user know what's going on. And that's even like from when we started, I think I know I know Vincent also started with Free Code Camp. I also started with Free Code Camp. I remember there was a project, a project there that was like a Wikipedia one where you were supposed to submit like a little form. And that was actually horrible for me. So I've been, that's, that's kind of what pushed me to be a more of a backend developer, to be honest with you, Vincent. So yeah, so my experience with it is mainly building them out, building them out using React or Laravel. And like my whole experience with forms has been me trying to run away from building forms and actually trying to find a way to just auto-generate them. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's like a million things we can use to auto-generate forms. Like either in Laravel, there's things that will actually take your model, like your models and generate the forms for you. I know, I don't know in React that much, but I knew in Vue, I actually wrote this thing that used to take like the validation from Laravel and then like write the form for you hmm. just because I don't like writing forms. Yes. Yeah, so I used to do some really like, I, I've done some crazy stuff to get away from writing forms, but now I'm just get, trying to accept the fact that I need to make sure I craft good forms because all those auto-generated stuff, they don't give you everything you're going to need. So they get you like 90% of the way there, but then that last 10% is always a struggle. Mm-hmm. So uh, Vincent, what's your experience with forms? So I think, one of the first forms I've, I've written is actually through Free Code Camp, which you were saying earlier. Uh, it was just like a survey form where you enter your, like your name, your email, your age, and like what describes your current role and like what's your favorite feature of Free Code Camp. And so I learned like a lot of the basics of how HTML forms work, how labels work, how inputs work, and how you can click on label to like actually focus onto the input. And then it goes into like the different to- types of form inputs. So for instance, there's like text areas. There's also uh, selecting options if you're trying to handle like a dropdown feature or if you're trying to handle, for instance, like a button selection or a radio button for users like different different parts of the form. There might be like a checks box. So like you might have like check all that apply in this case, like for instance, like for the free code kept survey, it was like, what would you like to see improved? Do you want to see front end project improved, back end project, state of visualization, challenges, whatever? And you can select as many as you want. And then there's also the text area and then there's submit button, right? So that was kind of like my, at least one of my first intros to, to forms. I probably, I'm pretty sure I've done other forms besides that. I just don't recall distinctly offhand, like when I first originally started, like the original forms. But the most like recent example that I've used with forms at my last job, I actually had to implement multiple uh, form step wizards. So this is basically like multiple pages in a form. Like instead of having one giant form where there's like 100 fields in there, you have to break it up in different sections. That way the user doesn't get like too overly overwhelmed with like all the things that they input. It's just like more of a stepwise fashion. So that was like actually one of my first like more difficult projects that I had to deal with forms. And I remember like actually having to do it for the first time and going and realizing how complicated they can be and how many things you have to know about it. And there's a saying, at least with, with front end development, until you get really, really good at 
dealing with forms, you don't really build mastery uh, on the front end, at least, because like forms are some of the most complicated things that you have to work with, or for most developers, at least on the front end. I could definitely see your 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 point of view. It's like, hey, well, how can I automate this form like creation? Just because it is a lot of work, there is a lot of things to do behind the scenes. And I do remember using a lot of uh, pre-built form generators as well. For instance, um, if I just wanted to like throw up like an index.html website for like a client. And I just wanted to have something like quickly, there's always like a form submission, like, hey, enter your email here to reach us or enter your contact to be part of this this newsletter, right? I would just like stick with just like the pure index.html file and just like reference like an external JavaScript library and just say, here, input this, uh, the script tag, have it like embedded into the site and then run it through Airtable or run it through any other form tools that are out there on the web that kind of like help you Right, a more no-code solution. So that was kind of like my first experience with uh, with with forms. Uh, German, what what can you talk more about, like the technical aspect of forms and why they're so difficult to build? Yes, the main reason they're so difficult to build is because users are unpredictable. But and then that just kind of ties into everything else, right? So I guess we'll start out with just talking about like a plain old form. So obviously the HTML standard provides you with a plain old form, right? And well, we at the end of the day we always super we tend to supercharge it with JS or JavaScript or other stuff. But basically there's a, there's a you know the form component. That form component can take different stuff. It can fire different actions, right? But inside it, you can have you can have inputs, and those inputs can be different things. It can be radio boxes, check boxes, just text, a text area, and there's a little more details in there, such as like such as like uh, giving those components names and labels and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, what triggers the form is going to be usually a button at the end with of type submit, and that's going to fire a submit event, and it's going to go ahead and fire the form up. And in the context of just a plain old HTML form, there's going to be an action and a method. So you're going to be able to tell it if you want to do a post or you want to do a get, and then to what endpoint you want to do that. And you can also add in some other details in there, especially if you're using files and stuff. You're going to have to use a different thing. So a different there's going to be some like content types you're going to set it within the form, like form attributes, uh, if you're sending f- uh, files up. But the it, the cool the two things to note here is that uh, if you're using a plain HTML form, I sorry, I keep repeating plain HTML form. So you, you have the get and the post. Remember, in the context of uh, of the web, a get is always supposed to be idempotent if i pronounce that right i probably That's do right. not so it's it's not going to change it's not going to change the state of the back end right it's not going to go ahead and write a table or whatever so Normally, we use those type of forms that get forms whenever we have like a search field, right? I know in JavaScript, we tend to forego that and we just make an input and look at what people are typing into the input. But mm-hmm. if we were just being proper about it, we would have a form. And then that's that's what it would use in like a search form, right? Like you're filling out a form to search something in the database. That's when you want to go ahead and use a get. Now, if you're doing something like a sign up or something where you're taking data and storing it in a database, that's when you're going to be supposed because it's going to change the state of the backend. The cool thing about it, uh, about those plain old HTML forms, we have actually built-in validation, right? It's not going to be the same across every browser and it's not going to be the prettiest looking validation, but you can easily tell, hey, I want this input to take an email. I want this input to be a number. And that that kind of gets, starts getting you into the handling the fact that users are unpredictable. You never know what they're going to try to put in your forms, whether it is by accident or 
because they're trying to be malicious. There's a million different things they could be doing, right? They're users. We don't know what they want to do. So there's built-in validations you can use. Granted, they're, they're not going to be very robust and they're not going to give you something like validate that this is a phone number or whatever, but it, it'll get you like, it'll, it'll get you started, at least for very simple forms, right? Mm-hmm. And me as a, as a, I'm gonna just kind of like talk about a little bit of my PHP experience. So it's, I, I'm mainly a Laravel developer, uh, or I work a lot with Laravel. I don't want to label myself as a Laravel developer. Uh, so we tend to use something. Uh, we tend to write our forms obviously in plain old like in PHP. There's little helpers we can use here and there, and that's basically how they work. We're basically writing plain HTML form, plain HTML forms with some added things, right? So in Laravel, we want to be able to handle or handle a couple things. We want to be able to handle like also make the form handle like patches, deletes, and other other stuff. That mm-hmm. obviously, if you're writing a normal form, that doesn't get handled because it's not native. But basically what Laravel would do with the backend is you tell it, hey, this is a put form, and it'll add a field that says put, so it kind of it kind of like cheats its way around it. And also a lot of frameworks that go that will that are like more backend rendering type deals, they'll add in something called a CSRF token. So that's to prevent cross, uh, like cross-site forgery requests or attacks. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little token that uh, that the field that the usually the framework would add to the form to make sure that this, this you're not firing the form from like a different like website or something, and you're not basically someone talking to like hijack your form to steal stuff. Uh, so I had some additional things to add on when, when it comes to HTML forms. So there is, so for instance, when you're submitting a form with the post method or, or the get method assigned to like the, the, the form action, post method is just generally used when you're submitting like actual, like for instance, if you're submitting like a lot of fields in the form, you want to send like a, a whole body of information to the back end. You would generally use like an HTTP post method, and you're right. Like the get method is if you're like looking up something on like a like a type ahead, like you're searching through like a list of addresses or a list of information and hitting the backend to get that information. That's when you would make like an HTTP get. And then with like a built-in validation, there are actually lots of different ways you'd validate something with just pure HTML. For instance, with HTML inputs, you can actually use something called a pattern matching. So if you're if the user's inputting like an email or like a a phone number, and you want to make sure that it's the correct format. You can use a, a regex, which is like a regular expression that like checks the string and like uses like a weird combination of letters and sequences that like then checks if that string matches that criteria. And then like with the whole user experience with HTML forms, it's kind of limited in that all of like the the error uh, or sorry like the tooltips that pop up when you're like not putting in the correct data. Uh, look the same across the board. So if you're trying to have like specific type of user experience on the site, um, HTML forms can, can, can be kind of limited in that sense. And those are just like some additional things I just wanted to add on to what you were saying earlier. No, definitely. The real important to notice those all those validations are going to be dependent on the browser. For example, the one thing that annoys me the most is there is an input type where you can use date, and Chrome and Firefox would actually give you like a little date calendar picker, mm-hmm. and it'll work fine. Uh, but the second you try to use that on Safari or iOS, for either for iOS or macOS, it doesn't work. It'll actually break your form, and that's like that's a that's a bug ticket that's been open in uh, Safari or WebKit since 2010. But Apple just refuses to fix it. That's interesting. I didn't know about that. It's a small rant there. It's annoying <laughs> for, for a very long time. That's interesting. I got, I got to check that out. Also, German, uh, do you want to get to more behind the scenes, like how JavaScript forms? work versus like HTML forms. 
Yes. Yeah, so we'll kind of start like I know there's going to get into like a specific framework territory, but there is an intermediate step. So there's a lot of so if you remember from the good old jQuery days, you used to also be able to you used to also be able to add dynamic validation to your form basically by having it like basically listen on the on input or whatever event you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. And you could basically add those attributes and then add like certain attributes that are not standard to your inputs and to your forms. Then you would have like jQuery libraries that would like scan the DOM for those attributes and then add stuff, add listeners, and then oh, it would go ahead and do validation and all that stuff. I used to use it a lot for um, for like currency fields, you know, to make it look nice with little dollar signs. Oh, and the dollar signs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to use a lot of like, a lot of that in jQuery back in the, back in the good old days of jQuery, which okay. was... Right before you submit, jQuery would just like go through and like pre-format the information before it hits like the HTTP method through the back end. Oh, you could you could do it in a couple of different ways. So if you're using like right now we're kind of talking about vanilla JavaScript and kind of I know jQuery is not vanilla JavaScript, but it's kind of like it's a very popular back, like, library back in the day. It's a very library back in the day, and so basically at that point you're you're free to do a couple of things. You're free to do it on when they. As they're typing, as they blur, at that point, once you once you start adding JavaScript to the form, you can do it whenever you want, right? You can validate as they're typing. You can validate and submit. You can bypass the unsubmit, the actual like normal mm-hmm. uh, submit stuff, and actually use jQuery or vanilla JavaScript. Let's talk about vanilla JavaScript now, since it's not 2011 mm-hmm. anymore. You, you can if you you can actually add a uh, a listener to your form with JavaScript, the unsubmit listener. And as soon as it goes ahead and um, and something fires the unsubmit event, and technically you can hijack a normal button, but ideally you would follow semantics and use the uh, the type submit button. Mm-hmm. And you can go ahead and kind of like hijack that, format it, and then you can use something like Axios or just standard fetch, just send that to your backend. And at that point, yeah, you're you're kind of like using JavaScript for everything, which is it's not wrong. It's basically what we do most of the time anyway, because we don't always tend to use browser defaults. Right. I don't think I've ever used browser defaults for stuff in a uh, in a project in an actual real project. I don't I don't remember the last time I used a browser default either. It's just very limited. It's only if you're using like a very very simple website and there's one form on the page and you're running PHP in the back end to handle it. That's generally when you'll have like a really really simple form. But for most forms nowadays, I feel like you would use something like you would override the default uh, form methods and then use a like a change event handler on like the form element itself. And then when the user you know, like hits the submit button, it'll then trigger that method instead. And then I'll do the validation checks with uh, whatever validation library you're using behind the scenes. And then it will also make sure that the user is pointing the correct information. It'll pop up like the correct error states. Like if the user hasn't like completed the correct set of information and you can customize those styles and what those look like and, and how it feels on the page. So that's why, like you were saying earlier, a lot of, a lot of developers or a lot of companies are just moving straight to JavaScript forms as opposed to just traditional HTML forms only, right? Yeah, no, I was just saying like pretty much nowadays, kind of just use JavaScript for everything, just to supercharge it. Oh yeah, I mean JavaScript can just pretty much do everything nowadays on the front end at least, and you're just it's just much more flexible. Do you want to get into uh, the conversation of wizards and like multi-step forms and kind of how they work? Yes. The one thing, if you know the answer to it, I want to ask you is, why is it called a wizard? I've always wondered that. It's like know, the wizards actually. will now be installing your, your program. Because I've, I've always called it a wizard, and everyone I've talked to, has, I've, I've always called multi-step forms as wizards. 
Yeah, no, the first time I ever heard Wizard was when I was a kid and I was in selling stuff on like Windows 95 and it would be like a little like driver thing that pops up and it'll be actually be a bit a wizard looking guy is like <laughs> installing your program. Like purple shaved. Yeah, I remember I remember. Oh, yeah, cool. so from there I, I understand Wizard so it was like so always something like a multi-step stuff. And then when I got into web development, I'm like, why? Like I've always wondered why. I've actually never I know I could look it up. I know like it's a Google a Google away, but I'm lazy. I, I think <laughs> so because you had a wizard kind of helping you through like a long form and he and that wizard kind of told you like along the way what to do to fill out this form. Actually that, that reminds me of Clippy. Clippy <laughs> He was a pop up on was the I mean, was he? I think I think he might have been. I don't know. I don't really know where the term wizards or the term wizards came about to describe multi-step forms, but it's it's a much easier word to use as opposed to saying like multi-step forms. Like for instance, like, you know, we used to call quadcopters as quadcopters, but now we call them drones because it's one syllable. So <laughs> it could be the reason why, I don't know. So with, with form wizards, there's 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 different types of libraries, right? That you can implement uh, the whole multi-step form process. What are like some of the different libraries out there for popular frameworks like React or Vue or Angular? So yes, so this is where it gets fun. So wizards you can implement in a million different ways. Uh, how painful you want to make it for yourself, that's up to you to decide. So normally when you start getting into wizards, we'll talk about this mostly in the context of using a front-end framework. Yes, you can do wizards with like like multi-step forms with like just normal like server-side render PHP page and stuff like that with cookies and sessions. We're not really going to cover that one in depth because that's not what we're used to. At least I don't have like a lot of experience with it. So when it comes to like using that type of stuff, usually using like a, like a front-end library such as uh, Vue, React, or Angular, or I guess if you're cool, Svelte. But different, all of them are going to have like, it's a bunch of different form libraries, right? Because developers are lazy by nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're lazy. And we don't like making forms because they're super complex to do. So usually the popular ones I know and I think you know about are the React ones I can think of the top of my head. So we have Formic, which I know it's also, it's popular also in React Native, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Because Forms in React Native are weird. I've done like one and I don't remember it, but I feel like it was weird. And then you'll have the m- most popular one in my opinion. And my favorite one is React Final Form, which is very simple to use. And then I think Vue has a couple different ones as well, but I, I can't recall off the top of my head, All right, to be honest. Yeah. So with Angular, at least, is that's like one of the most recent form library or one of the most recent forms that I worked with in that in that in that library. It's actually built into the system. Like you don't have to use like a third party library. It's just it just comes by default with with how Angular is shipped. So they actually had two different types of forms. They had something called template forms, and then they recently, I think, with like Angular four, came out with reactive forms, which gives you more more abilities to like actually handle different different form states and how it gets submitted and the different states that like a form can be in, whether it's like if it's like an error state or submitted, or if it's been touched, or if it's dirty or whatever, and it's it's written like agnostically through each like Angular project. So one developer that goes into like one Angular project can like just pick it up really quickly, just because it's the same across the board. But I know with React, it's much different, and that there's so many different options, like you're saying. I personally use something called Formic, and that actually is what I use to handle a lot of like uh, validation states in terms of like, hey, has the user submitted information or have they not? And as opposed to like what I was saying earlier with like traditional HTML methods for validating, for instance, like an email, you can use like a pattern regex. With Formic, you could declare that initially using like a different like validation library 
that would then like check every time like you submit the form, like are those uh, inputs matching like the correct email type format, if that makes sense. And then I also use Formic to do multi-step form integrations as well, where you have like, you know, step one of the form, then like step two of the form, step three, step four, step five. And like, it even like I've worked in forms that like had like 10 steps in it. So there was always like a weird way of like how to persist that state across each part of the form. For instance, like, if, like step one of the form might affect step two of the form or the form might have multiple states that then are affected by like how the user clicked on the first step of the form. For instance, like on my previous company that I worked at, like I had to work on a form, like the first page of the form was like, hey, what type of form do you want to submit? And then whatever you clicked on that on that radio button would then affect all the other states of the form, right? And then that's that's why forms can be kind of complicated because there's so many different ways it could be handled and so many different states it could be in depending on the requirements of like the form itself right so Jeremy, do you want to go more into like what i was saying earlier about uh form states like the different states that a form can be in yes this is where forms get con- so, con- a little bit complicated especially when you kind of like start using like normal like whenever you kind of move away well no they're still complicated. Like this is still the same issue if you're working like just with backend rendered forms, but it becomes worse in the front end because obviously there's stuff going on, right? And in the front end, sometimes you want to have like specific validations and stuff that happens when someone types into a field. So this is what we're going to call the, like the sense of like a, having a form state. So there's going to be different states like a form can be in by standard, by not by standard, but like, like the most common ones is you have like a clean state. So your form was just Firstly, render into the page. It's clean. No one has touched it. Then you can you want to start doing things uh, when maybe when the user touches a field, focuses on a field. There's a lot of stuff that can go on, right? So, but as a whole, it's like you have like this form set, this form state, which it can be either touch active, like it can be in the process of submitting. It can be submitted and pass in initial values. It can be like a pristine form, which is like basically clean. Uh, sorry, but now. You're going to take that complexity of having that giant form state, and then you're also going to apply to each field, right? Because if we're actually reaching for something as a form library, then we want specific stuff to happen within those like fields, right? So now you have that like complexity for each field, and then that can also add in or that can also start being affected when you are validating on a field level. You can have, for example, like let's say you have, you're like using a username, right? You're like... Uh, having a person add a username in, you want to check if that username is taken right after the person finishes typing in it, right? That way, they're, that way, that way they can change it if it's already been taken. So what's going to happen is as the form is validating, the field is validating, the form should not be ready to submit, right? So it's not like they could be typing on one hand and then in the middle of that, they can go ahead and quickly hit submit. You should have a way to handle that. Having the concept of states helps you with that. That way, you know, hey, if this field is has an error, then the form is in an error state. So you can handle that appropriately. You can choose to not submit it. You can choose to display a proper error or in the case of like submitting like a username, mm-hmm. just going with that example, you can kind of show, you can kind of decide, hey, uh, this username was taken. What is it similar? Maybe do I have a separate API that can give suggestions or whatever? Uh, then it's going to load that in. So there's a lot of stuff that can start going on within those states that you can kind of key off and kind of like display different stuff to your user. When you have a form, a multi-step thing, just imagine that. So we already have that complexity of that Thing that's on the page, that form that's on the page, those fields, now you're kind of like just copying that over and over. And then you kind of have to decide, hey, is this entire thing ready to be submitted? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets crazy. Like when, when you're talking about like uh, the different states that a form can be in. So when a user is pr- pressing information in, right, and then they're entering their email or their address, validation with these form libraries, you can actually run the validation 
right then and there after the user has like like after the on blur change event happens, like the user clicks off the off that input, and you can actually run the validation right then and there, or you can actually run the validation when the user submits the button or click submit on the form, and then that validation will run across all of your input fields. And I'll show up all the error states right below each input. And then you can actually have multiple error states within that, within within like each of those inputs. So like, for instance, like if a user didn't enter in an email, it's like user has not entered an email in, or please enter an email, right? And then if a user like hits hits more information and then doesn't put like the at sign for the email, it might say like the user has not put in like, a proper email type, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't follow the specific format of an email. Another one that that we haven't covered actually is passwords. So passwords, like you know, when you when you like enter passwords in, it's like okay, this password has to be like has to have one capital letter, has to have one uh, special character like a dollar sign or whatever, and then it has to have a number and it has to be eight characters long or twelve characters long or whatever, and it can't be a word, right? So. Like when you're typing that information, it'll like show you like right below it, like all the different like check marks that's it's it's that has been approved in that like specific criteria for that password. And then like as you're typing it in, it'll just like start showing a check mark, like, okay, the user has like actually actually has entered in like a password that has met the first capital or one one character in the in the uh in the password being capitalized, right? And then it goes through and like looks at through through all that. So like the validation is running right then and there as you're typing it in, like after each, after the user types in like a key. And then you can also run validation again to make sure like when they re-enter the password again, is that same password also like the previous password they entered in, in case they made a typo. Because it's all like blurred behind the scenes with a specific like HTML method that doesn't show like the exact password as you're typing it out. And then uh, there was something else I want to talk, or that was, that was also kind of like in tandem related to that, where like, for instance, if you're using like Angular View, they have something called a a model or like a v model for view where it's like you can bind your your state variable directly to the input right and so as the user is typing stuff out it just gets binded to that variable so when you submit at the very end of the day like you're just checking that variable and making sure that variable is the correct format and then it'll pop in the correct error states and the error states are dependent on that variable that also gets into like this weird other thing that you might run into though where it's like at least in view and I've run into this before where it's like I was trying to build like a currency calculator or like or a calculator for like generating like requests for bids for like different different construction projects. And you know, you'd have to enter in like a quantity field and then like a like a cost field for one of the items, and then that would then generate like a a, a, a summer or like a summation, like a total, like quantity times cost of product is equal to the total cost of all the products, right? And then you'd have like another field that say like total cost of this product plus this product plus this product is equal to the total of everything. So like fields, form fields can be kind of complicated in that you might have like a input field that is dependent on another input field that is dependent on another input field. And so when that happens, you have to like separate out like your event handlers and, and how the, uh, the state gets managed separately. So like instead of having like a two-way directive, which is like if a user enters an information in this input, this will immediately bind to a variable. Instead, you say like if this user enters information on input, call this function that does done that this that this function then does stuff and then sets it to a variable in which that input is controlled by. If that makes sense. So 
uh, that was just something I wanted to add on related to like the whole state changes conversation we're having earlier. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, and you kind of started touching on the part that makes it difficult, especially with larger forms, is for, like fields that depend on other fields, right? Like the password one. Um, that's where things start to get like really complicated. And I know like a lot of sometimes a lot of farmers don't use them, but like the forms I do, like where like multiple fields will kind of change the like the things that you can either use for another field or will kind of like let's say trigger a drop down or like start like let's say maybe uh ooh, in the context of address addresses, right? So when you start typing in address, there's a couple of different ways to handle it. And we'll kind of go into different ways about this later, but like maybe an address, when you type it in, it kind of narrows down like the country or the zip code and mm-hmm. it, can start, it can start getting really complicated. And right, I know it sounds like, it. yeah, or like, I know in the context of what we're kind of talking about, like smaller examples, it doesn't seem that hard. You're like, especially if you haven't built one before and like this is your first time kind of listening about forms and someone just rant about them. Uh, you can be like, oh, but it's just a field that's affecting another field. But yes, once you start, yes, in like that little like isolated example, it's not a lot. But when you start adding more and more and more, it gets crazy. And it doesn't go away because like 90% of what we do as a web, de- as web developers in the front end is just forms. It um, is. It's really <laughs> complicated. <laughs> uh, I know that there's a joke that all the web apps are just fancy CRUD apps. So a CRUD is basically the create, read, update, mm-hmm. delete. So it's just basically like adding lipstick in a database. Um, <laughs> they're not They're not wrong. Sometimes we do it in fancier ways, but yeah. <laughs> so oh, next thing to cover is just a little bit about how you know, like if you're using like backend stuff, like a backend framework like Laravel or something, or just plain old, P, like plain old forms. Uh, how would be able to do multi-step? Uh, I know in the front end, oh, gosh, I can't recall. Vincent, did you touch about like making sure, like, let's say, if you if you're like uh, like transfer transitioning between pages, just kind of like how we how we kind of store that, like okay, if yeah. users are logged in. I don't think I covered that yet. So basically, for like a multi-step form, if you do it in the JavaScript format, I've I've actually done it in both Angular and React, and I think I might have done it in Vue as well. You would usually have like between every step, you would have like a HTTP method that either gets data or, or posts data. It usually posting data because you'd post data to the database and then that would store it in the correct places. But if your form is like your your, your multi step form is like kind of weird in the sense that you have like multiple steps and like the first step affects the second step and the second step affects the third step, you might have like a get request between every step and then like a post a post request between every step to like format the data. If you can like avoid having to do that, it, it usually makes the form way, way more simpler. I actually had to fill out recently a form that was like 50 steps long. <laughs> and this was like, this was like a security clearance form. So it was like, it, the, it was interesting in that like I had submitted it incorrectly and then I had to go back and like resubmit it. And like, I could see how all the forms how the information got persisted in the previous iteration that I submitted that form. So basically between every step, you can just like submit, like make a post request for that specific information. And then like, as you're going through and you refresh the page or whatever, you restart from scratch, it'll just make a get request to grab all the information at the same time at the very beginning. That's a much more simpler implementation, I think, when you're dealing with multi-step forms. So like uh, a post request between each step and then one get request for everything that the user has like on initial first step of the form. That makes sense. It just depends on how complex your form is and like what mm-hmm. things are relying on other things in the form. Definitely. because uh, I was gonna I wanted you to cover that in like the JavaScript version because when you're using like normal like just like I want to keep calling them plain HTML forms, but like, uh, but like if you're like something like an Laravel or like a backend specific framework, what happens is 
Again, you have many options in that case because now you have the back and you have access to the database, cache, whatever. But for the most part, if it's like a form, let's say like you're filling out something, it'll be like a, you'll kind of sort it in the session for the user. And then once you get to the final step, you can go ahead and like submit the session to whatever controller or like submit it to the database or whatever. But then again, we kind of, since we kind of start, we, we talked a lot about validation and the front end and all that stuff. One fun thing to do is, Sorry, one important thing. One important thing to never forget is don't trust the validation from the front end. So the validation for the front end, it's for the user experience, right? To be like be able to tell them, hey, this field's not right. Hey, um, hey, uh, give them suggestions or whatever. But at the end of the day, you always want to validate again in your backend, right? So you don't want to like because basically anyone can just go ahead and like open up open up the debugger and start changing values within your app, and they can submit jank data if they really wanted to, or they can just find out what your endpoint is and just start submitting data to your endpoint. Right. So basically, you always want to make sure you're validating the backend. And in the backend, when it comes to validation, there's one thing that's called uh, there's uh, what's the is it. What's the what's that one like software programming law? It's like be uh, liberal with what you accept, conservative with what you send. So basically, if you're if and that goes like for functions and everything. So like the, the concept is if you're gonna send a bunch of like data and there's some jank data in there, like some mm-hmm. fields that don't exist, just don't just don't fail the request. To be like, hey, this field is wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. You can just go ahead and accept all this input, find out, validate what you what you can from that, figure out if it's enough, and then if if it's if there's enough bad data to kind of complete the request and then mm-hmm. complete the request. Uh, also, because if you're kind of like sending fields back and be like, hey, this f- this form is incomplete, you're also exposing the inner workings of your app and whatever, and that can be a security risk depending on what you're doing. Right. You don't want to put too much information on the error states, but it's like, hey, it's like uh, type in your, your, your password like to validate that this is the correct password. And it's like, and then it's like, oh, we don't have a password assigned to this user. Well, that, that means you know that there's no email in the system with that user. So you then you try a different email, and it's like, oh, this this is the email that this user used. And then you can start trying out different combinations of things and start brute forcing the whole system if there's no like checks against like how many times you can submit on the page. So hey, you're right. That, that makes sense. Like there, there's a security protocol they have to deal with. And then you were talking earlier about uh, what was it? Oh, like don't trust the front end. So anytime the user submits something, if they're logged in. Make sure that person has like a like a token assigned to it, so that way like they can they can check the token in the back end if that's the correct user that's submitting the information. And I think like normally traditionally like, the way I write forms is like if the user submits more information than needed, just like depending on like what the required fields are, just ignore everything else if it's not like part of like the submission process. If that makes sense, like the user just like decided to open the debugger and like add a completely new key value pair that had nothing to do with anything on the form. Don't like fail it per se, but like. If there are like key, or if there are like key value pairs that are required in both the front end and back end, which are generally the same requirements, make sure it's following those set of criteria. And uh, that was just something I just wanted to add on from what you're saying earlier. Yep, and I think it's like perfect time transition to like what the most difficult part of forms is. So that's the technical part. That's actually not the most difficult part because at the end of the day, we can kind of like learn the technical part. But now let's talk about users, right? So basically, the user experience of your form is going to be super important, right? I don't know if you ever like been to like a website and you kind of like it, the form says like it'll just say somewhere on the screen it'll be like form invalid, but it doesn't tell you what's wrong, oh, and God, you spend so hours and hours. Uh, trying to figure out, especially if it's an important form that you can't just be like, okay, whatever, I don't care about this website. It's important. So a little bit about that, I'll just kind of cover a little bit is my pet piece is just don't 
and too much front end validation, right? Like, so the, again, the validation in the front end is for the user experience. Uh, it's not for you to filter out if this input is super good or not. So the less validation that you need to get by, the better. Collect the least amount of fields of data, because uh, obviously no one's going to want to fill out like your giant form if it's not worthy to them. So you want to get the least amount of data you need to validate. And then don't go crazy with validation. That was like a mistake I did in the beginning of like my development career. I mm-hmm. used to like wanted to validate. I was like, I want my data model to be perfect, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but then it, it reminds me you of know, the experiences I've had when I have to go to like a like, like a website, especially if it's like a government style website, and it asks for my legal name. So my legal name is weird because I have an apost- I have an accent on the A of my of my first name mm-hmm. and my. Like legal last name, the way for some reason the government put it, I have two last names. And in government, like government papers are hyphenated. Uh, but there's a lot of websites where if I put my last name hyphenated, it screams at me. And I've had it once when I was trying to fill out. Okay, so I was trying to pay like a, a toll violation because I guess I didn't have my uh, sound pass. <laughs> It was screaming at me for the longest time because then my name on the credit card had a hyphen. But what happened was it didn't tell me that was the issue. It just said form invalid. It just kept saying that. And I'm like, I have to pay this bill. Like, I, I can't. Oh I God. can't work it. Uh, but it turns out after, like, tinkering around for a while with the form, it was the uh, the uh, hyphen. Actually, if I remember correctly, I had to open DevTools and figure out what was going on. But a normal user is not going to do that. <laughs> They're going to panic because they can't pay their bill. I've had the same and problem. I'm not... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I had the same problem before on like government forums. So it's like I have two middle names because it's based off my Chinese name, which is like Lun Wei. And it's like some forms like say you can only have one word for your middle name, and it's like I have two words, so it's like they're not hyphenated either. So it was always complicated, and it was actually related to government forms as well. <laughs> oh, another instance that that I just remembered. I used to do international shipping. Like I would used to like ship packages to like different parts of the Caribbean, different parts of the world, and I remember like having to fill out like the forms on FedEx or on UPS and like the way we do things in the States is like, Hey, put your, put your city, put your state, put your country, put your zip code. But none of that information applies when you're talking about a different country. <laughs> you just only have like, if it's a small country, you'd have just a country and then you'd have like, like a province within the country. You wouldn't have like a city state country. You just have like city slash country. Or for instance, if you're talking about like Canada, you would have like a city and then like a, like a, a specific region, like for instance, like Toronto's in Quebec. Right. And then you'd have Toronto and then you'd have Canada afterward. But then you wouldn't I don't think you would have a zip code per se. I might have to check again, but it's been a while since I've looked at that. But like every country has like a different set of criteria when it comes to like city state zip or, or city state country zip. So it gets kind of weird when you're talking about forms in that sense. So you don't want to overvalidate and that you require like the traditional US state validations if it might not necessarily apply to a different country. Just depends on the context where you're building. So yeah, so you, you don't want to go crazy with that, but you do want to provide a good user experience. So like providing a good user experience here would be like autofilling stuff if you know the data. So the browser can actually autofill a lot of data as long as you put in on the input field, the out of field uh, attribute. And mm-hmm. for the most part, that will help the browser be like, hey, we, I already know this person's address. I already know this person's phone number. Let me autofill it for you. I hate especially like bank forms that would not allow you to autofill certain things. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're trying to like put in like your, uh, I forgot what it was, but like sometimes certain banks don't let you autofill some, some stuff and it's annoying. If my browser already knows it, or like if you're using LastPass or something, just yeah, let, it all the time. let, yeah, don't break LastPass. Or I hate when people break my, like the password managers, they, they'll do some jank stuff too, sometimes break them on purpose for, I don't know why. 
I really don't know why people. I mean, do. You know, sometimes it's like it, it, like you go on the website and it's like, please enter your email first, and then you enter your email, and then it shows up the password field. Which I get, it's more of like a security system that they're setting up. But like, it's so frustrating to have to like go on LastPass. And it's like, why isn't LastPass filling this form out? And I think, to my understanding of how LastPass works, is like it's just a JavaScript Chrome extension that just runs. It, it runs after the fact, after your page is loaded, and it looks for all the input fields, and it looks for like specific semantic fields, like address or address one or address two or name. And it just like takes your information in the database and just populates it. So you don't have to like go through the whole process of like filling out all the information again, your credit card information, whatever. So it looks for like those HTML semantics. And if you don't follow like the same HTML semantics, those password tools that you use on your extensions don't work. And it does become kind of infuriating. <laughs> so definitely keep that in mind. Make sure to be as semantic as possible. And also, uh, we forgot to talk about this, but make sure it's also area compliant, which is like web accessible for someone that's like maybe not able to see things up close, or maybe you know they have issues reading the screen. They need to blow up the text, or maybe they need like a like a like a screen reader that would like play back the message, you know, via audio, right? So those are just some additional things to to, to consider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> basically add additional HTML attributes to your inputs and, and, and placeholder text and whatever. So just think about the user experience. Like, would you, as a user, like enjoy using this form? I mean, nobody, nobody enjoys using forms, but like, does the experience not suck that much? I mean, as long as you pass that test, you're good. <laughs> so, Yeah. And then don't break the focus on the page. So it's, I don't know if you ever use a website where you're tabbing and you're expecting the tab to work to select different fields and it doesn't work. People that rely on those accessibility technologies need to focus things to work. Now, if you're using component libraries and all that stuff, most of it is going to be handled for you. But do you think when you're using a form, it's not only your experience and the way you can perceive things, but also think about there's people that will not interact with the form the way, like they will, they'll have like um, different, like how do you need it? How do you use, oh, what's the proper term here? They'll have different abilities than you, basically. Uh, okay, yeah, I know there's a term. I, 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 forgot yeah. what the, I forgot what the term is, but don't need to be, don't make it accessible to as many people as you can. Uh, there will be times where certain constraints won't allow you to do it, but. That makes sense. For, for instance, like if you have like a set of like uh, set criteria for like a specific field, for instance, let's say you're on Pinterest and you're, you know, Pinterest is like a site where you can like look up different images for ideas or whatever. Like when you're signing up on the registration page, it's like, hey, what type of categories of stuff are you interested in? Are you interested in business? Are you interested in art and design and whatever? And so they could have made that into like a type of head field and like with with comma separations, but they just have it set. So you just click on the buttons and the buttons are super easy to click on. And it just like shows a different color when you clicked on it. So and then and behind the scenes, that's just a checkbox array. And then that sends an array to the back end. But just think about like, yeah, the experience is there. Like, is the user experience easy? Are the buttons easily clickable? If this form state is in an uh, error state, is it like easier to read as well? And also you can also have, a, when you submit a form and, and it's like making an HTTP method, make sure like there's some sort of like notice to the user, whether it actually went through or not, which is like a lot of forms don't really do that. And they're just like, okay, you submit and you're still on the page and you don't know if it actually worked. So like think about your confirmation success page Maybe you're at like the shopping page of like an e-commerce site and like you click and you click buy, it brings you to the page that's like, Hey, your order is completed. You can close the page now. Or, or maybe like a, a toast message that pops up at the top, right. That just like briefly shows up and then like it disappears after a while after it's submitted. But if, if a user like, for instance, like hits like, you know, an error state where like it's not submitted correctly, you can even like do an integration with, with your library that then like, 
hits like your back end that says like user has not submitted the correct information, right? So there's lots of ways and different tools out there to help the user experience along the way. When you're asking questions on like a form, make sure you ask the right type of questions. So if you're working on a form that's a survey where the information is is uh, like asking like the user like, hey, what was your experience on the site? Rate it from one to ten. What, what what was like your review on like this this contractor you work with on Fiverr? Like, was it good? Was it bad? And then you might have like, for instance, like a public review system. And then you might have a private review system that doesn't show up anywhere. And they use that on Facebook. They use it on Airbnb. They use that in a lot of different places. So when it comes to user experience, think about the human side of things and kind of like how the questions are asked more so on like the English side. So for instance, there's like a, a survey every year with, called the state of JS. And that's just like how developers kind of rate different skills and experience of what technology they like, depending on how you phrase the question will impact the end result. So for instance, if we were to say the question on the form and, and the question is like a yes or no answer, if you said like react is better than angular comma, right. With a question mark you're basically implying to the user that React is better than Angular. And then in their mind, they'll probably say yes. But if you said something like, which is better, React or Angular, in your mind, and then you have like an input field or like two two options that they can click on, that would be a more unbiased experience, right? Where you're collecting data in a more neutral fashion. So those are just some examples. But just think about the whole discovery phase and like how you're asking a question because that does impact the end result if you're doing a survey. Oh, definitely. Do you think we are ready for dessert time? I think we're ready for dessert time. What is dessert time, German? Ooh, so it's a little section where we get, it's a little, it's our own personal soapbox, but it's basically where we get to go ahead and like give you updates about our lives, what we have going on and just talk about anything that's sweeter in our lives or maybe not so sweet. So Vincent, do you want to go first today? I, I know I talked about this in the last episode, but I recently adopted a cat through the Humane Shelter I'm at Lope, I'm in, in Tampa. And he had recently been recovering from an ear infection and also like a flesh wound. And he's like, at this point, I've already taken him to the vet twice. He's, already, he's at this point where he's like fully recovered now. And you might have heard him earlier in the episode. He was meowing at me and kind of like getting in my way. I was like, oh my God, like Monty, like get off my desk. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do this podcast recording. He's starting to get like the zoomies, which is like when a cat gets like super energetic in the morning and just starts like dashing everywhere and starts like shredding and destroying everything that you have in your apartment. So I'm just kind of like figuring ways to like, like alleviate that. And I have like different toys to like essentially like help him to calm himself down by like having more playful time sessions where he just like throws all his energy out the door. And then that way he can like sleep during the day and not wake me up in the morning. Yeah, I've tried a lot of different things. Like I've tried, I have this like thing in my hand right now, just like it's an RC remote vehicle. And like when you turn it on, it just like lights up all the way and then it spins in circles and it goes somewhere else and lights up, spins up around. And like he isn't the type of cat to like chase things, which is kind of weird. He's just like the type of cat that like literally just looks at it and finds enjoyment in that. And Sometimes, like, when I watch, like, TV shows on Netflix, he'll actually watch TV with me, too. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. And he doesn't like lasers, surprisingly, which is kind of, uh, <laughs> which is kind of surprising. Oh, yeah, it's his little flesh wound. That's actually why I named him Monty. It's Monty Python, programming language, and also the show. <laughs> it's but a flesh moon. He actually had a flesh wound as well, so it kind of, like... Oh, it's, uh, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's but a scratch. Tis but a scratch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's what happens when the... The one like Black Knight gets like his arm cut off in the show in the series Monty Python the Holy Grail. Yeah. He's like this, but a scratch. 
I thought he said tis but a flesh wound. He said tis but a flesh wound because he said flesh wound in the show. Uh, I think it's it's flesh scratch. I think I think it's both at some point after we watch the clip. I don't remember. It was what that. <laughs> it's been a while since I saw that movie. It was that white demonic rabbit. I believe that scene. Anyways, uh, what about you? What 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 sort of uh, fun things are you working on? I've got a Raspberry Pi over the winter break, and I've been playing around with it a lot. It's pretty fun. I want to do mm-hmm. a bunch of projects with it. In the meantime, what I'm excited about is I actually turned it into a little web server. So I'm actually hosting a website from my house, which is, I, I don't know. It, I know it's not the most difficult thing to do, but it's kind of silly. It, there's nothing in it. So if you go to hermandustuff.com, you'll actually be pinging my Raspberry Pi that's literally here in my hand. So If you turn off the Raspberry Pi and you turn it back on again, would your server re-kick back up or do you have to go go into into the like go into like the terminal and then reset it up again? Oh it's set to it will kick back on. I have like system D set up so or system, oh, it's like yeah, a system D, which is like the man, yeah, it'll, it'll kick back on. It's it's nothing, it's just the engine next page right now. I haven't had a lot of time, but I'm I'm planning on throwing a little API there. What what version is the Raspberry High in right now? It's like B or C, I believe. I don't remember. And I, I know they've had a lot of updates over the years. The 4B. The 4B. I know. Yeah, I um, got the 4B. Yeah. There's one company, I think a, I think the company is called Flow Sports. They actually use Raspberry Pis to do, uh, they, to, to basically have like a personal portable computer to gather analytics at like a like a sports venue and see like, I don't even know, like just, just collect data like at a specific location just because it's a cheap way to have a computer. It's like the cheapest computer you can have. They can just bring around with you anywhere and like report analytics and measurements of, of different things that are happening at like an environment or a setup. Yeah. It's, it's a very strong device. I haven't really sports, right? Yeah. Flow sports. That's what they use over there. Yeah. It's a, it's a company that does a lot of like TV street or, or sports streaming. Yeah. I'm planning on doing a little API, uh, throwing a little API on this later on today. If I have some time, we'll see how it goes. It's Tell me how it compares <laughs> to like using AWS or DigitalOcean. Having your own server where whether the site's turned on or not is directly dependent on it's, uh, it. <laughs> or how far away you are from me. So if you're actually in Orlando, it'll give you really fast response times. But I was testing it. If you're like hanging out, let's say in the West Coast, it'll take like two seconds to actually <laughs> to actually get to you. Well, because it's going through it's going through many more channels. Yeah, it's it's. That's that's such a hell CDN. Yeah, yeah. As well. obviously, yeah. yeah. With hack having different pops right? and different points of presence and all that different crap. Different points of presence and different like assets yeah. at those points of presence, and then it's like, hey, you want this like three megabyte file for, or sorry, this like a hundred megabyte file that we have for code chefs? Uh, well, we have a distribution network. One in the East Coast, one in the West Coast, one in like, I don't know, somewhere in Europe. We don't have a CDN actually for our site. We just throw everything on Amazon S3 and just have it on the East Coast. But hey, maybe behind the scenes, they might have some sort of uh, a CDN process behind the scenes. I don't know. Probably not. They actually have a system called CloudFront. Or, or, yeah, I think it's CloudFront that handles that. But we don't have that set up right now. Yeah. But we haven't really, I haven't really seen the need for it though. But all right. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Jeremy, before we close up? No, man. We're, we're all good. It's been, it's been a week. <laughs> Oh, this is like the first recording that we had this year. This is 2021. Yes. So. We were hoping it would start off better than 2020, but it has not started out better. There's so, like a meme online uh, where it's like, it's like the, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and like the meme uh, picture where he's got like the little glass with the toast. Uh-huh. And it says like, cheers to 2022. <laughs> 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 Just because 2021. Yeah, I haven't got it. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope it changes around, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it will. 
All right. All right. Well, we'll see you guys in the next one then. All right, guys. Everyone, stay safe. All right. Later. Thanks for dining with us on Code Chefs. We hope we satisfied your hunger. For show notes and more insider info on today's topic, visit our website at www.codechefs.dev. Plus, follow us on Twitter at CodeChefsDev. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and join us back here for the next one. Uh, Check, please.